Hey, here we are again, book by book. I'm Richard Buse, joined here by my colleague Paul Blackham, and then by our special guest, Nancy Guthrie from Nashville, Tennessee, over in the USA. And what we're doing is uh, 1 Samuel, the Old Testament, of course, and we're on to study number four. Here we are, by the way, in the Dockland area of London, England, with, of course, we've got the great Millennium Stadium, well, the great dome over there, and we've got the light railway there. We've got uh, London City Airport nearby, aeroplanes going overhead, quite a lot going on here. But here we are now with the Bible. Get out your Bible, will you? And here we are at study number four. We're going to call it The Battle is the Lord's. That's chapter 16 to 20 of 1 Samuel. Why don't I read a little bit from chapter 16 here and verses 4 to 7. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And actually, just a, now a verse or two further on, let's look at verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Quite a lot here about the Spirit. Mm. David, as the future king as he would be, is filled with the Spirit. And yet Saul, it seems, loses the Spirit. Indeed, an evil spirit, actually, is sent on King Saul by the Lord. What do we make of that? Well, yeah, it's strange, isn't it, that... Um... David is filled with the Spirit, and then that's the symbolism of oil in the Scriptures. And this is always the verse I like to go to to show that as soon as the oil's on him, he's filled with the Spirit. So any, it's just a little tip in Bible no, study. Whenever you see yeah. the oil in Scripture, and you remember this verse, oh, yeah, that's about the Holy Spirit. So that's true. But it, because David and Saul are supposed to be pointing to the one filled with the Spirit beyond all measure, the king of kings, the divine king. So here, there's this way in which David has the, the, the life of God come into him to empower him to be the real king and everything. Saul has not done that and he's turned away from the life of God and the word of God. So now what life has he got? And it's almost as if the Lord says, well, if you're not going to have my spirit, you're going to have this spirit. And it's, a, it's like a harmful spirit that is, the Lord allows this evil spirit to come from the Lord to him, like an unclean spirit. And it's as if to say, you can't be neutral. Like Saul might have thought, well, okay, I'm not going to serve the Lord. I'll just be my own man. No, you can't be. You're either going to end up, you either serve the Lord or you're going to serve Satan, really. You can't just be your own person. And that's kind of in this because you might, it's just a warning. If we're not filled with the spirit of the Lord, 
There's really only harmful spirits out there. And what's interesting here, just that thought is where David plays the harp and plays this music and then the evil spirits like, <gasps> and like backs away. I've thought about that a lot. And that sense of the power of music and that the he- in heaven, we, they, there's music always going on. They're always singing the angels and all that. And I wonder if it's something of that, that heavenliness of music and the evil spirits, like, <gasps> you know, something of that worship of heaven and they back away from that. I love the thought of that. That's why the Christians surely have got music so much to the fore, the Bible yeah. and music, music, and the two are used to touch the whole world. Biggest book of the Bible, the song book, the I music know. book. Yeah. I know. And you see, other belief systems don't actually focus on music as no. we do. We love the hymns and all the rest of it. Yeah. So, yes, I, exactly. Now, we're seeing here in chapter 17 the beginning of the rise of David then. Mm-hmm. Chapter 17, and actually David and Goliath as well, with the five smooth stones and all that, the number of talks that have been given <laughs> on David and Goliath. There's yes. one talk once which was entitled by the preacher Pebble Power. And <laughs> the first, uh, each of the pebbles, well, first meant was meant Bible study. The second one referred to, you know, Holy Communion. The third one was, you know, prayer. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what does this tell us about the Lord Jesus, actually, as we come to David and Goliath? Oh, this incredible story. it's, It's in the middle of a bigger story that began really in Genesis 3. Remember, in the midst of the curse... Uh, when God came, he said that there was going to be enmity between the seed of the woman Mm. and the seed of the serpent forever. But he also made a promise. He said that when this baby comes, this seed of the woman, you will bruise his heel. Yes. yes, He will crush your head. And so then we, so, but but we recognize there's going to be this battle always going on between Mm. God's person and, and the God's people and those that come are the seed of the serpent. And so here we are, here is Goliath and he comes out, he's a giant of a Philistine and he has a big threat. He says to the Israelites, uh, send out one man and I'll fight him. And if I win, you guys are going to be slaves to us, the Philistines forever. But if he wins, we'll be your slaves. Well, David arrives on the scene, bringing food to his brothers who are there in the Israelite army. And he can't believe, remember that Saul, that they wanted him because they wanted him to go out before them in battle. And what is he doing? He's hiding in the tent. I mean, every day Goliath is coming out and saying, send out a man and Saul won't go. And David can hardly believe that this goon from Gath is coming out every day, insulting not just God's people, but their God. Yeah. And he wants to stand up for God's honor. And he says, you send me. And I will go out and fight. Yeah. So, you know, his brothers don't want him to. Saul says he won't, but he does. He, but he doesn't use the world's armor, the technology of the day. No, he, he does go out. He picks out these five stones that he knows how to work with. But we have to see the bigger picture of what's being pictured here. Because in the, when we read this story, what we need to see, here's David. He is the, the Lord's anointed at this point, which in the New Testament, it w- would be the word Messiah. He is the Christ. So we should see in him a picture of the greater Christ to come. Mm -hmm. But not only that, when Goliath comes out, this interesting fact that is in the NIV I love in verse 5 of chapter 17, it says he has a bronze helmet, that he wore a coat of scale armor. Hmm. In other words, he looks like a nine foot tall serpent. Mm. 
and he does just what the serpent did in the garden and has done, which is, he says, if I win, you become my slave forever. Mm -hmm. So this is the greatest battle in the history of all time. And what does David do? He crushes the head of the serpent, right? right? And so what happens is here's the Israelite army. They're back there. They're like us. That's how we should see ourselves in the story. We, we shouldn't see ourselves as David going out there to fight our giants like you are referring to. Instead, you know what? You and I are those Israelites that are standing back the line, and we're terrified mm. because we know if our champion, if he doesn't win when he goes out, we're going to be slaves to that evil forever. Mm. So likewise, you and I have a champion. Actually, I love that. The we have a champion, there. the greater Christ, mm. the Lord Jesus who went out alone and crushed the head of the serpent. And so we are joined to him. And so that's why we can say praise to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the good news, when we read this story of David and Goliath, we should, we should realize our champion has gone out and won so that you and I don't have to be slaves forever to, e- to evil. Wow. Do you think we've got a better sermon now than Pebble Power? Oh, it's better. That's much better, yeah. I think that's wonderful. And actually, of course, it did a huge amount for uh, God's people. When the Philistines saw, this is verse 52 now of chapter 17, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and so on. So that uh, it made a massive difference to them, of course. What uh, actually, in a way, what gave them the Israelite yeah. army the will to fight? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Until the champion, the Lord's champion, went out and defeated Goliath, they couldn't do anything. They were totally powerless. But in the light of his victory, now mm. they go out and fight, and then they go trample them down, sort of thing. So that's the great thing to think about, that for us too, for them, they now have the power to, because in the light of his victory, they can then go win a victory. And that's with us too. We don't have to beat Satan. The Lord's already done that. But because he's done that, we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. So we always go out in the confidence, not of our strength, but in his strength and his victory that's already done. And remember, when we keep our eyes fixed on the fact that Christ has humiliated Satan on the cross, then we don't need to fear Satan. We can go out and fight the battles in his strength, in his name, with his power. We've got to apply that again and again in everything we're doing, in ministry, witness, whatever. When difficulties come into the life of a fellowship or of a church, again, who is the great winner? Who is the great winner and who is the great loser? Actually, chapter 18 reveals... David's rise and the developing clash between Saul and David. And what was the basis really of that clash? Let's think about that for a moment. Well, Saul's just jealous. Mm. (laughs) He's jealous. He's the king. He's the one who wants the adulation of all the people. And here comes along this young upstart David, who's really just a shepherd. He hasn't even been trained in battle. He's not big and tall and impressive like Saul. And yet what happens is he... He goes out and he wins the battle and he slays his 10,000s, right? Mm. But so not only is he victorious in battle, we keep reading about all these people who love him. Here's Jonathan, Saul's son. And we read that Jonathan loves David. 
Not only that, here's his daughter, Michael. Mm, Michael mm. loves David. And so he's really jealous of that. So he's jealous of the love that people have for him, the admiration they have for him. But perhaps going back to what you were talking about the earlier, he's got an evil spirit. Yeah. So yeah. that's got to be a part of it. And what do we know about David? He has the spirit of the Lord. Yeah. And so this evil spirit, not only does that add to his jealousy and resentment, but also that just inspires something that evil always does. What evil does is it sets us against the Lord's anointed, mm. the Lord's king. And that's who David has be, is yeah. at this point. He is the Lord's anointed. And so Saul, this evil spirit has turned him against him. You know, he knows that the Lord is with David and he recognizes the Lord is no longer with him. Yes. Uh, when you think of, of David and Saul, I mean, chapter 19, verse 10, yes. where David evades Saul's murderous attempt on him. And then verse 18, flees to Samuel, a drama. What's going on with the... Yeah, yeah. Hey, what's all this about the prophets at Ramah going on, See, prophesying? I think it's a lovely little story because Saul sends out all these armies that have got, you know, weapons and all that sort of thing, and they think, we're in, we're in charge, we rule with our swords and armies. And then there's really David and Samuel with some other prophets, and they're just filled with the Spirit, preaching the Word of God and probably worshipping and all that, and it just looks a mismatch like people who have no weapons at all and just praising and pre and then all these armies come and he keeps sending one after the other to other. And when they come, they discover they all join in <laughs> and they all start praising and filled with the spirit and worshiping. And there's just this sense of that's the great power in the world. The Holy Spirit, the living God, he rules and his people don't need any weapons. That makes a lot of sense to the average Bible student. Yeah. I mean, I think many people would be confused by this. Mm. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. indeed. And so, yes, David and Saul. Why this chapter 20? See, we're doing chapter 16 to 20, going very fast, if you don't mind. Why this long and detailed story about David and his friend Jonathan here in chapter 20? Now, what do you think, Nancy? Well, I think we have to recognize it as a picture of what it looks like to follow God's king, to pledge our allegiance mm. to God's king. And we know all along in this story that David is a shadow of a greater king to come, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can look at this as a picture of what it means to respond to the Lord's king. They're very close, of course, Jonathan and David. I mean, They're very this close. system of signals to preserve David's safety, yes. you know, when there was danger around, Yes, all that. I Go love on. it there in verse 4, uh, Jonathan says to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Mm -hmm. So he has, uh, David has Jonathan's allegiance. Over and over we read that, that Jonathan loved David. He has David's affection. But I think the most significant thing in, in terms of what Jonathan shows us about how we follow the Lord's King is that Jonathan basically abdicates his rights to sit on the throne himself and says to David, I believe that you are God's king and I'm going to serve you. We read in verse 16 of chapter 20. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. 
He has submitted himself and embraced God's king. And what a beautiful picture for us, what we must do. It's a picture for us of what we must do when we come to God's king. We must love him. Mm. We must pledge our allegiance to him. We must abdicate the throne of our lives and make him king. Wow. That's so important. As we close off, to abdicate from the throne of our own lives, I mean, jealousy is a huge thing. It was with Saul. It is with us. It is with some of us ministers. We can get jealous of each other. Or in some discipline you're in, perhaps in an orchestra, or in the academic setting, or on the sport field. You get jealous of somebody with superior abilities, apparently. And that can kill you. The answer to it is to praise the person that you're in jealousy of. To praise them publicly. To say how, how wonderfully they've done. Better than you. You find a strange thing happens. It's a gift of grace, really that the little stab of jealousy that was killing you evaporates and is filled with a glow of God's grace. That's a miracle from heaven too. Meet you again next time.